So this morning I want to talk to you about tennis. I want to talk to you about Americans and millionaires. And I want to talk to you about a gate and a pool and a bush. Does that sound like it's going to like be a good reason to come to church this morning? Are you ready? Do we have any, do we have any tennis lovers here? Any tennis lovers? One, two, three, four. Okay, we got a, there's a few of us. We can maybe, maybe looks like we can make about one, one set of uh, mixed doubles. The rest of you guys, just pretend, okay? So, uh, anyone know who Andrew Murray is? A- Andy Murray, not Andrew Murray. You do? Yes? You've seen him in the news recently? Uh, Dwayne, you can give us that next slide. Uh, you've seen him in the news recently? Uh, this is Andy Murray. He... Um, He's 31 years old. He has been knighted by the Queen, so he's actually Sir Andrew Murray. I would love to see them uh, announcing, you know, at the at the tennis when he gets a score. They got to call him Sir. That would be quite fun. He uh, in 2016 he was the world number one tennis player. He uh, won gold at the Olympics playing tennis. Um, he has 45 titles and two Wimbledon wins. So I hope even if you don't know anything about tennis, you're beginning to believe that he's not just your average social tennis player. He uh, was knighted by the Queen, as I said. He's currently uh, world number two, even though he's been off for for injury. And uh, in uh, 2018, he picked up a hip injury, and he had hip surgery. It didn't work out. So uh, he just shocked the world. You can see that image uh, at the press conference, he just shocked the world. He played a five-set and lost. He gave it all. And uh, very emotionally, at the end of his press conference, he said, I may not play another tournament again. So everyone's up in arms. Uh, you know, with sports uh, people, the whole I'm retiring speech is quite a sensitive one because guys retire and they come back and they retire and they come back. You need to make sure. And the question is, do you retire on a high or do you stick out for too long? Uh, good old Dale Stain still going for it, hopefully a little bit longer for us, right, for the cricket lovers. And uh, so, so Andy Murray in tears said, That's it. this might be my last uh, tournament, and the world is up in arms. Uh, he then went on to say that even putting my shoes on in the morning is debilitatingly painful. He spoke about, about not being able to walk his dog, brushing his teeth. And now this is the guy that plays uh, the men's five sets go on for hours. And uh, so this is the guy. So he's got a couple of options. He's got a couple of options right now. This is You can go and Google him. Uh, this is all out in, in the public domain. He's got a couple of options. He can play through the pain, and he may not even make it to the next kind of his next goal tournament. He, uh, he can choose to retire now, or he can choose to have an oper- a second operation on his hip. Which, if it goes well, uh, one of the, the, the doubles players has just had a hip operation and come back. And uh, five months after the operation, he's playing tennis competition level already. If it goes poorly, so Andrew Murray spent most of 2018 trying to recover. If it goes, the second time goes poorly, because of his age, he's 31, which for tennis players is pretty old. Uh, because of his age, he could, lose, he, could get, he could lose track. What's the word? Lose track with the tour. And uh, you know how it is, you lose your spot because everyone else plays well and, and you're not playing. And uh, he may never make a comeback again. And so here he sits, this thing that he loves, that he's played his whole professional life, and uh, uh, even as a child. This injury is stop him, stopping him. So what does he do? I wonder if you've ever been in a difficult situation 
like that. Maybe for you and me, playing tennis is a difficult situation. I don't know. But uh, maybe you've been in a difficult situation. You feel like you're on the horns of a dilemma. Do I have the op? Do I press through? What do I do? If I, it, it could get better. It could get worse. So do I stick with the, with the status quo and hope I can last? Or do I risk the change and hope it gets better, but also it might get worse? This morning I want to speak about becoming unstuck. I think many of us, uh, I'm nervous to preach a New Year's message, and that's not my intention at all. If you've been around for any number of New Year's, you know that uh, I don't like New Year's resolutions. And uh, New Year, New You, mm, how long does that last? Um, I, uh, Colette and I haven't been too well over our, uh, over our December break, but nevertheless, I've managed to keep up uh, with my exercise. So when I went to the gym uh, and the car park was full, I couldn't believe it. I haven't parked so far away from the gym door for ages. Hey, Jamie. It felt like by the time I got to the door, we sort of should have earned some steps already, you know. And uh, by the, I thought, my goodness, this car park is full. And then I said, oh, yes, it's January. That's fine. February, I can park at the door. Every year, it's the same. Yeah. November, everyone's trying to get their bikini body. Um, and then January, everyone's trying to make up for Christmas. And then after that, there's space in the car park. And so I'm not into kind of New Year's resolutions. But what I do believe is that many of us have just become stuck in the status quo of life. And I'm suggesting that if we look at a man at a gate and a man at a pool and a man at a bush, I'm thinking these guys will help us. And over the next couple of weeks, I really do believe that God is wanting to get us unstuck. He's wanting to get us to move on. I wonder what you or I would do if we were Andrew Murray. What, I mean, that's quite a difficult decision, don't, don't you think? I mean, your livelihoods, you know, these te- tennis players, these professional sportsmen, they make a lot of money every time they turn up. Um, so let me ask you a question. Guaranteed, take it to the bank, 100% assured, I want to ask you, what will happen in 346 days' time? Without doubt, without doubt, will not fail. 346 days' time, what will happen? Come on, you mathematicians. What will happen? Guaranteed. The 1st of January will happen in 346 days' time. Did you know that? I haven't worked out the shopping days, don't worry. So a year ago, we began to speak, uh, a year and about, last uh, two Novembers ago, we began to speak about being better off next January. Remember that? I heard one or two people last year saying, January, I got better. So now you've had a year to prepare for January. Are you better off this January? Who's better, who feels better off this January than last January? Look at that. Well done. Well done. I would expect that you've become unstuck if you're better off this January than last January. Because what happens, life, hap- life, life just turns up. Um, <laughs> who was surprised by Christmas? Was Christmas a bit more expensive than you planned? Who was surprised by Christmas? Can I guarantee you something else? In 300, uh, now I've got to do the math. 340, I don't know, 352 days, something like that time, Christmas will happen again. Happens every year, I promise. Yeah. So January is too late to start saving for Christmas, right? In fact, (laughs) um, 
Colette and I had to sit down at the beginning of December. We worked out our finances. We paid our bills. We set aside some money for living expenses for, Jan- for December. And then we had to decide what would we spend on Christmas, right? And can I just tell you the good news? We're not paying off Christmas anymore. You don't pay for, Christmas for December and January, right? That's one of the best ways to be better off next January. You guys, are, you guys are wondering where on earth I'm going. Stick with me. I'm becoming more and more aware of how many of us live lives of quiet desperation. It's easy to feel like we're on a hamster wheel and that wheel isn't going where we don't want it to go. It's not going where we want it to go. We endure, we're dissatisfied, and we're not really doing anything about it. You know how many people I've met that say, man, I'm just so unfit. I'm like, really? Can I be really cheeky? You might be saying, man, I'm so overweight. I'm so tired. I'm not quantifying what weight you should be, but people tell me this. I'm just reporting. It's amazing how many people tell me I'm so dissatisfied, but then you can see them in a year's time and they'll tell you the same thing. You say, well, what have you done about it this year? No, nothing. I've just moaned about it. Uh, God's so far away from me. <laughs> I've got no money. Uh, some of us are just stuck in the routine and the treadmill of life. Last year, end of last year, we spoke about becoming a prophetic people. We said a prophetic people are those that see the future, prepare for the future, and then become the future. Now, obviously, if you're not seeing where you're wanting to go, it's very difficult to prepare for that, right? Yeah? And uh, if you're not preparing for it, it's very hard to become like that. It's easy to feel stuck. Like Andrew Murray, I'm not happy with where I am, and I can't see how I can make any changes. Now, many of us call America the richest country in the world. We think, man, the American dream, if I can make it in New York, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere, right? And, uh, but you know what? Uh, if you've ever driven anywhere in America, even if you watch the TV shows, where do Americans park their cars? Can I give you a hint? It's not in their garages, generally speaking. Do you know why? Because the garages are full of rubbish. Yeah, we talk about American consumerism. Do you know the average American earns $45,000 a year? So it's just under four grand a month. And uh, do you know that the average American owes $8,000 on their credit card? Now, just, I'm not talking about money this morning. It's just money is so quantifiable, and it, it's really a good indicator of how we're living our lives. Um, the average American debt, not excluding your bonds, is $38,000, according to the statistics. $38,000, which equates to 10 months' salary. Now, I don't know how much debt you're carrying or, or I'm carrying. Well, hopefully, I know how much I'm carrying. But here's the deal. Could you imagine if you had to stop spending a cent and spend every cent of your next 10 salaries, and you'd only then be debt-free, not including your house? You see how we get stuck into the rut of life. We don't necessarily start spending less. We just live with the fact that we're in debt. And then we claim, man, we complain, man, I'm in such debt. I wish I could do something about it. I wish I could be out of debt. Well, here's a hint. Maybe you've got to spend less. We say, I wish I could be, but then if we don't do something about it, how will we ever get where we want to be? You, you understand with me? Yeah? Alrika Romano says, oh, I wish I knew God loved me. Well, you've got to do something about it. You've got to ask him. South African statistics, because we're such a diverse society, because the, 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 the spread between the haves and the have-nots is so wide, it's a bit more difficult to quantify. They tell me the average salary in South Africa is somewhere between uh, 
rand a month and 40,000 rand a month. You understand how difficult the South African statistics are. The Americans, it's far easier to make the sums work. Um, do you know that three quarters, uh, th they say that the average South African spends about three quarters of their income on debt repayments, including a house. I don't know how you make that work, right? Um, many of us never finally pay off our debt. Maybe you've said, maybe you've said to yourself, I'm so unfit, I have no money, I feel far from Jesus, I'm too busy, I'm too poor, <sighs> my job is so hard, I'm always working late, I'm not doing what I wish I could in life, I'm just paying the bills, I'm, I don't have enough time for my family or my friends, my boss is in charge of my life, I haven't read that Bible in ages outside of our church meetings. Maybe he's saying, I don't have any chance of positive change on the horizon. And is anyone feeling like this? You guys all look like I'm making you feel depressed. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to take a long, hard look, right? Yeah? You know the drill. Until you actually quantify what you're dealing with, it's very difficult to make a change. Until you realize, well, this is where I am physically, and this is where I want to be physically, it's very hard to plot the course from, one, from uh, place A to place B. Many of us complain as a coping mechanism with no intention of changing status quo. So some of you said you were better off this January. That's great. How about next Jan? Are we going to be even better off next Jan? Can you imagine in just a couple of years, January after January, you know how much better we would get? Uh, I said to Clive this morning, uh, it's amazing how normally sons are taller than their fathers. My son's way taller than me already. Yeah? But then why aren't we giants? If every son's taller than his father, where are we going as a people in this world? Yeah? Imagine if we could just make the Januarys work for us. Who knows where we could go, right? So sometimes it's easy to look at other people, isn't it? I believe that there is such radical potential for the kingdom of God in this room that if we were just to make a few changes, we could get ourselves unstuck from our current well-worn paths and do something about it. Are you overdrawn? Are you overtired? Are you overhurried? Are you underprepared for everything you find yourself? You get to work, you think, oh, I should have done this. Um, you know, they say that most Americans, this, the American stats are just so easy to find and quantify. Most Americans can't cope, cope with a $400 crisis. 400 bucks. They can't cope it. What about you and I? Because it's easy to point things at the... At the um, at the Americans, we heard from Alrika, a refrigerator and a geezer in the same month. Could you cope with that? The same week, never mind the same month, my goodness. Yeah? Um, most people are one appliance breakdown from a money crisis. Because we're stuck with our money. Now, money is just quantifiable, so relax. We'll get there in a few more weeks. I want to say, isn't it easy to resent those that we think are coping so well? You know that guy that's driving the shiny car? Isn't it easy to resent him when you look at your less shiny car? It's so easy. So, uh, you know those people who get their kids to school on time? You know those people? Those people who don't dress out of the ironing pile. You know those people who actually planned their outfit the night before and made sure it was ready. You know those people that aren't shouting, where's my socks, every morning? 
You know those, those horrible, stinky, terrible people. You know those people. We can point fingers at them and say, man, I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> Not like the rest of us. You know those people who actually will see their friends this weekend. You know those people who actually have prayed and read their Bible this week or this month. Can I just say, I'm worried. The, the, the pressure, because we do have PowerPoints and that, the pressure is to put the, 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 the scriptures on the screen. You know why I haven't done that yet? Because I'm nervous. If they go on the screen, you're not going to open your Bible. And for many people, if you don't open your Bible on a Sunday, you might not during the week. It's so easy to assume that other people have it easier than us. Don't you agree? Would you like to be a millionaire? Not a trick question. I'm just asking. I'm just asking because I know the answer. It's a rhetorical question. Is there one person that's not a liar here this morning? Hey, Petunia nodded. She's the one person that's honest. Would you like to be a millionaire? You know, it's easy to say, oh, man, the millionaires, you know, those guys, they have it so easy. Hmm? So they did a study in the States of 10,000 people who have a million plus net worth. Now, if you bank with FNB, I don't know about the other banks. If you, have a, if you bank with FNB, it shows you all your accounts on, on your banking profile. And then at the bottom, it tells you your net worth. It takes your, your bond and your credit cards and any loans you have and then any accounts that you do have. And at the end, it tells you what you have. Mm-hmm. Your car payments. Now, could you imagine if you had... Over a million, accessible, not a million including the house that you have to sell to get to the million. So they took 10,000 people that had over a million worth of assets. That in the top three jobs of those 10,000 people was teacher. Teacher. Millionaire. Top three jobs, teacher. 97% of these people didn't inherit their money to get to a million. 97%. Yeah, because we point our fingers, oh, they must have had a rich dad, right? (laughs) 80% of them, houses, this is interesting, 80% of them exercised three times a week. 62% of them graduated from public schools, from normal schools. Because we always go, oh, I didn't go to insert fancy pants school here. I'm not part of the old boys network. Hello? Can I be really contentious? I'm not the right color, the right gender, the right suburb. It's easy because it lets us off the hook. 62% of them uh, have an have, have a average income in America. 50% of them uh, average B or less in school. of them didn't even go to college. On average, their homes are 260 square meters, and they've lived in the same house for 17 years. Uh, Is it up there? Uh, 66% of them have a paid-off bond, and most of them did it, more than half did it in 11 years. These are not rich people, but they've managed to get unstuck in their finances. You turn with me to Acts chapter 3, please, verse 1. (laughs) <laughs> gone very quiet in here. Very quiet in here. Have I touched you on your wallet? 
See, it's just so quantifiable when you look. Money is money. Ten is ten, no matter which way you feel about it. Right? When I, when, I, <laughs> when I want to take the kids out for takeaways, if I open my wallet and there's ten bucks in there, it's going to be ten bucks whether I feel good or bad. <laughs> yeah? It's just so quantifiable. And I think many of us are stuck. We're stuck in our finances. We're stuck in the treadmill of life. Acts chapter 3, verse, verse 1. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, if you ever went to Sunday school, you would have sung this song, I'm sure. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. Remember that one? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Do you remember that? Walking and leaping and praising God, if you went to a church like me when I grew up, right? Um, so here we have this guy. He was lame from birth. They ca- he, every day they carried him into the temple courts so that he could beg for money. He wasn't expecting his life to change. He was just trying to get enough money to make it through the day. That's where he was at in his life. Do you think he was stuck? He was a little stuck. I mean, he was expecting no change, no difference. His level of expectation had dropped right down to his current circumstances. I wonder if you and I find the same way. I expect to go to the same job. I don't expect to have any kind of hope of, of, a, of a new horizon. Um, he was hoping for money. They said they didn't have any, but they gave him what they had. He was a man living with the status quo. He was in the culture of the day. Of the day. It's amazing to me how acceptable it is in, in, uh, in South Africa to carry debt. You know, they say that above, uh, I'm trying to think of the statistic, um, it's 10.5 million people out of 22 million uh, economically active people. 10.5, it's almost 50% of people are not keeping up with their debt repayments, their credit repayments. South Africa, would you say we're stuck with our money? This guy was stuck with the status quo. But it's quite, you know... You know what amazes me is you, you, you can be stressing about your money, but it's still very easy to go and spend some, right? We live in the status quo. That's acceptable. No one looks at you, looks down on you because you have, you, you're struggling with your money, right? It's acceptable. This guy was just living in the culture. Okay, I go to the temple. People will hopefully give me money. He, uh, he was reduced to begging for money. You know what's amazing? If you, have a look at, um, if you have a look at that, he, there he was. He saw them coming and he said, please give me some money. I, I love their response. Look at us. Of course he was looking at them. They wanted to get his attention because he was stuck. He was on the treadmill of life. He was going around the hamster wheel. They wanted to get his attention. They say, look at us. (laughs) In other words, look beyond your stuckness. Look away from your own lot. It's so easy to look at us, at our lot in life, isn't it? Yeah? Oh, I could have been. If only. And these guys, these disciples of Jesus, they say, Look at us. Look away from your stuckness, away from where you currently are. And I'm asking us this morning to do that. Look, look over. You might, we'll talk about looking at it accurately, yes. But right now, the first thing we want to do is look at Jesus above your circumstance, above your stuckness. 
Then they took his hand and they helped him up. I love it. They, there was hope. And so this guy was stuck in the status quo. He was reduced to begging. The solution was to look up. Maybe you and I just need to lift our eyes and look up a bit. So there you go. There's the guy. So we've spoken about tennis. We've spoken about those Americans. And now here's the guy at the gate. What was his, the, 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 the message from God for the guy at the gate? Look up. The second guy we're going to talk about is the man at the pool in John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 1. A very similar story. So interesting. John chapter 5 and verse 1. Are you, are you there? Doing our homework, getting into our Bibles. Uh, John chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which, is, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida. Now it's interesting, the word Bethsaida uh, comes from uh, Abraham's well, where, which was called Bethsaida, which means the well of the oath. Uh, God is faithful and He keeps His promise. It says here, uh, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. There a great number of disciples, uh, disabled people, used to lie, uh, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? <laughs> it's probably a no-brainer, right? If I listen to myself, can I be vulnerable? If I listen to myself, I find myself praying, oh Jesus, I want to or I want not to so much. <laughs> yeah? Oh Jesus, if only it wasn't like this. Or if only it was like that. You find yourself praying that and yet a month later I'm praying the same prayer. I'm grumpy as. Stuck in my complaining and not looking to the Lord. Like the first guy, look up. Goes on to say, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Now, there was a, um, uh, a belief that, uh, the, there was, that an angel would move on the water, the water would ripple, the first guy that got into the pool would be healed. That's, that was the belief, that's why they came to, to that pool. So this, uh, the, the, uh, Jesus comes along and he says, do you want to be healed? And what does this guy talk about? He doesn't say yes. What does he say? He says, oh, woe is me. Have you ever been there? Do you want a way out? Oh, you don't understand. No one helps me. I mean, there's the guy that would help him in all the world, in all of history. Jesus is there to help him. <laughs> yeah? He said the first guy was reduced to begging just to get by. He was status quo. The second guy is reduced to being a martyr. Oh, he was an Eeyore. No matter what happens in Eeyore's life, it's against him. If it's raining, it's his fault. You know, it's there to make him misery. If it's sunny, it's there to make him his life a misery. Yeah? And so Jesus says, do you want to get better? The guy says, oh, no one helps me. <laughs> um, he says, while I'm trying to get in, somebody else gets in ahead of me. Have you ever found that? Man, I can tell you stories. How many people have got in ahead of me? How about you? Yeah? Oh, I had a plan, and then some guy beat me to it. Jesus said to him, get up. You know the cool thing about this morning's message is it's really quite simple. It's two-word answers. It's not even like a sentence. The first one is, look up. 
The second one is get up. You know the cool thing is if you if you have a look at the Greek, they, uh, he, he, the the word there for the the understanding for get up is to awaken as from a deep sleep. Have you ever you know the, those Sunday afternoons when you feel fall asleep again on the couch? It's like you died on the couch. Hey, five minutes you like dead to the world, and if when you wake up, it's the, whoa. And so Jesus tries to shock this guy out of his experience. He says, wake up. So the first guy had to look up. The second guy had to wake up. Now, that's not the most polite thing to tell someone. Yeah? Wake up. Yeah? But anyway. So this guy was just living, maintaining. He was just getting through the day. He felt like, oh, everything's against him. He became a martyr. It's so easy for us to be so aware of what's against us. Yeah? You know, it's cool to get a compliment, isn't it? But most of us, when we get given a compliment, we explain it away. So Jesus says, wake up. And then the third one is a man at the bush. 1 Kings chapter 19, please. 1 Kings chapter 19. It's the story of uh, Elijah. So Samuel King's Chronicles. 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, Elash, Elijah had just had this radical thing. You, you may remember the, the prophets of Baal, the, the false prophets, had challenged him to prove who God is. And so they both made altars with sacrifices. Elijah poured water on it. Then they prayed and they said, the living God will light the fires. And God lit the sacrifice, uh, burnt it all up. Uh, so he has this incredible ministry high. He had this great success. And then the queen says, I'm going to kill you. So he runs for his life. So he has this great high, and then he finds himself in this very deep valley. And so he gets to this place, and in 1 Kings 19, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make you like one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. Beersheba is the, the town closest to the Egyptian border uh, in this landscape. So he went as close to the desert as he, as he could. He left his friend and then he went a day further on his own. When he gets there, he says, I've had enough, Lord. Anyone said that to the Lord recently? I've had enough, Lord. Ganimiani. He says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Have you heard that language before? Look up, wake up. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals. Isn't that amazing? You've walked into the desert for a day. You've got no food with you. Man, fresh baked bread. Yeah, And a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back and a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. I want you to notice that phrase. The journey is too much for you. We're talking about becoming unstuck. The journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And God comes to him and he says, what are you doing here? He says that to him twice. 
And he says, oh, you don't understand. I've been so zealous for you. And I'm now the only one in the whole of Israel that's serving you. And everyone's trying to kill me. It's so terrible. Woe is me. And Jesus says, you need to eat. You need to rest. And then he recommissions him. And he says, now go and anoint your successor and anoint two kings. And so he gives him a job again. This journey is too much for you. He said, it's so easy for us just to get locked into just making the cut, just paying the minimum installment, just making the minimum to get through the day. We become involved in maintenance, subsistence farming, just having enough to eat and do the next day. It's also so easy to become a martyr. Oh, you don't understand how hard my life is. I'm sure we all can say those stories, right? But sometimes it's just a cry because of our stuckness. This guy, man, he didn't even want to carry on anymore. And... Uh, probably you've said something like that to the Lord before. It's amazing. God's solution for Elijah is rest and eat. Verse 5, he feeds him twice, provides him with food. Isn't that amazing? There is hope in the Lord to give us what we need to be able to get unstuck. It didn't say take out your sandwich and eat it. Yeah? He says eat and he looks around and there's provision. God will provide what we need to get unstuck. He feeds him twice. Then he says, eat because this journey is too much for you. Who wants a better journey? Better destination. Yeah, I would like a better destination. Wouldn't you? I don't want to end up next January in the same place. Gee, this looks familiar again. Yeah, not because I want to be richer, but I want to be better off with the Lord. Yeah, maybe you and I just need to Look up, wake up, and they need to get up. Just simple. <laughs> he says, eat up, get up, and go. And God gives him a job to do. Sometimes we come with the success of the past, and then when today isn't like the past, man, it can be even worse. Sometimes it's like, you know, sometimes when we haven't achieved great things, it's okay because it's just the same. But when we have achieved and then don't achieve, it can be difficult. Anyway, could you imagine if each one of us in this building just chose one new destination that we wanted to become, become unstuck? Just one. Could you imagine if we poured our energies into getting there? So if you need to get out of debt, we speak about the debt snowball. And so you list all of your debts from smallest to biggest. You find a little bit of money. Just 50 bucks will help. You make this, the minimum payment on each one. You take the 50 bucks and you put it into the cheapest repayment. You pay that off as quick as you can. Then you take both of those amounts and you put it into the next one. And the snowball gets bigger. Get it? Then when that second one's paid off, you take all of those amounts, you put it into the third one. It takes a while at the beginning, but it starts to snowball. So here's my point. Could you imagine if you and I responded to the destination that God has for us. We found a little bit of energy. You might have to go check in the couch for some coins. <laughs> you might have to walk around the block once a week. That might be all you can do. We've got to find a little bit to add into the mix because when, when, we, when we cook with the same ingredients, we get surprised when we get the same result, right? Somewhere along the line, I'm asking you, maybe you say, man, I'm far from God. Or can I give you a hint? Maybe you need to start the journey back to him. How do you do that? Or maybe you need to sit five minutes aside a week to go and talk to God. 
Maybe you say, man, I never see my family. I'm always at work. Or can I give you a hint? What's the destination you want? Well, maybe you need to choose. Maybe one day a month, maybe one day a week. To say, I don't care what happens. I'm coming home an hour earlier. Going to eat supper together. You get what I'm saying? We can get stuck on the same journey, friends. We can complain about it. We can say, I'm used to doing the same thing, seeing the same, yeah? But unless we find a little bit of exit, maybe you've got to sell something. Maybe you've got to say, I'm not putting my energy into this. Facebook can wait a week. Maybe I'll catch a lift with a friend and I can read my Bible along the way. I don't know. Find a way where we can conserve some energy so that we can pour it into one area of new destination. Maybe you're just going through, you're like the beggar. You you and I are just going through the the, the motions. I just need enough to get through. Maybe we're in maintenance mode like the guy at at the pool. I want to say to us this morning, time for us to look up, (laughs) to wake up. Number three, to get up. I'm going to ask the musos if you guys will join us. I'm going to ask you to sit exactly where you are. If you have a notebook, please keep it open. If you're taking notes on your phone, keep the app open. If you're doing neither of those, open your phone. You're not looking at Facebook now. I just want you to record something. We're going to ask the musos to play, and I'm going to ask you to sit just for a minute. We've still got time. You see, this is the homework part. I'm not going to leave you to go home before you do homework. We can do our homework now. You don't have to show anyone this. For you, I want you to say, what, what am I tired of? Where is the destination that I want to get to? I've said this so many times. If I don't go to Bloemfontein, I've got to take the freeway that leads me to Bloemfontein, right? It's not rocket science. If I want to go to Bloemfontein, best I get off the road to Durban. I need to look up. I need to wake up. I don't necessarily just need to do the same thing harder. Maybe I need to do a little bit of a different thing. What would that be for you? Maybe you're seeing the cycle. You Work hard, you rush home, you get home late, then you've got to make food. And by the time you make food, it's bedtime and you feel like you've gone nowhere. Maybe you've got to figure out, how do I make two nights food on one night? Then tomorrow night, I don't have to cook. And then that night, you say, family, let's sit down for five minutes together. You see, you just got to, maybe we've got to wake up and realize, whoa, hold on. Actually, I'm, <laughs> the scenery is becoming too familiar. Talking to myself as well. Please understand. And then maybe it's time for us to say, Lord, actually, help me. I'm going to get up. Now, maybe you need to jot down just one thing. Maybe you've got a list. That's fine. But I'd love you to leave here having written down one thing. I don't know what you're going to do. Is it eating better? Is it exercising more? Is it getting that thing that's outstanding done? Is it having that conversation? (laughs) Is it walking around the block? 
Is it tidying your desk? I don't know. Maybe you need to start with just one thing. And when that one's finished, you take that free energy and you put it into the next. The snowball gets bigger and we go down the road well. Don't just point at those millionaires and say, oh, you guys have got it easy. Man, no one has it easy. We've all got a story to tell. <laughs> Top three careers, teacher. Teacher. I don't know too many millionaire teachers. Yeah. Apparently it's possible. You just got to look up. Got to wake up. And somewhere along the line, we've got to get up. Can I just give you a hint? If you start something today, don't worry when you fail. <laughs> Generally speaking, the moment you decide to turn over and you leave, something goes wrong to turn it back again. Lots of grace. Just keep on track. Maybe where you are, you just want to jot a note. Just quickly. <laughs> if you're doing it in your mind, if your mind's like mine, I'll forget. Maybe as a family, you need to say, then you need to get the family's buy-in. So we're in this together. We're in unity. We're going to do this together. remind us, this is not so that he will love us. It's because he does love us. None of this is to gain his favor. None of it. It's, yeah. Jesus, as we sit as a people this morning, help us to look up beyond our current world and to look to you above our circumstances. Help us, Lord, to wake up. Sometimes it's like we go through life in a, like in a daze. Help us to come to our senses. And then, Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to get up, to choose some action, small though it might be, and set ourselves on a new journey. Pray, Lord, that we would hear your voice calling us to you. I pray for those of us that are so aware of the martyr complex, the oh, if, or woe is me. Jesus, help us to be beyond that. I thank you, Lord, that for Elijah, you provide the sustenance needed. 
because the journey is too much for us by ourselves. You provide for us to journey in Jesus' name. You're welcome to sit just a little longer if you want. The band will play.